IDP Show. I'm your host, Josh Raymer, joined in the Soul Shack tonight. On my right, it's the young king, Evan Ronda, in the house. Evan, how are you, my friend? Josh, I'm doing great. It's been nice, you know, hanging out. Uh, I can't even pull off that Kentucky Dude, that accent. was going straight to Australia. <laughs> you went straight down under. It's the second time this has happened. I tried to pull on that southern accent. It doesn't work. Let's put another shrimp on the bobby, mate. That's how everyone talks in Kentucky. Exactly, right? You just, you just have to be there to see it. It's, it's honestly been great. I've had a blast here at the IDP Summit in Bowling Green, just talking football, hanging with the boys. I am drowning in draft talk, and I am so excited to start up these rookie drafts that are happening way too soon, but I'm I'm ready to get into it. Let's do it. We got the, uh, the young king in the house and joining us virtually from the frozen north. You know him from PFF and the Big Nickel IDP podcast. He's your favorite analyst, favorite analyst. It's John Macri. John, how are you, my friend? I am doing well. Best weekend of the year is wrapping up now, and uh, now we get to go into the best off-season event of the year, like rookie drafts, and talk about that. Right, so this is uh, this is definitely a, a fun time of the off-season for for those who, those of us who love dynasty fantasy football, like uh, like we do. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people are are anxious to get their rookie draft started, and I'm I'm anxious to to help them out. Yeah, so we were having this debate, John, so I'm curious. It sounds like best football weekend of the year for you is the NFL draft? Yes, yes, far and away. It's my favorite uh, It's my favorite part of the year. Is it because of just the intrigue and the mystery and all 32 teams are involved and we're kind of you know, coming off like about a three-month dry spell with no football? Yeah, that's part of it, right? And I think there's like, like once the, the NFL regular season ends, there's... I mean, the the large majority of teams focus on the draft, right? So there's all this buildup. It's like a four month buildup, another almost like another season of uh, of buildup towards the towards the draft. You get the combine, and you know, watching all the tape from these players, you start to fall in love with these these guys and get excited for them, and and you know, these these young players that get to go and, and live out their dreams. And, uh, you know, it, it's been said a lot of times, but every team gets better at the draft, right? Everybody uh, adds something to their team. Um, you know, the, the, the difference in how much better they get is, is, is depends on the team. It depends on the players, but I would, I would argue that every team really does get better and it's just, it's just excitement, right? Three days of it too. So it's beautiful. I love it. Evan, you're a fan of the draft, I think, as well. Is this is this your favorite football weekend of the year? Absolutely. I mean, what other sport do you get this much team improvement from the draft? Like, your team can go into the draft and, and look like they're in shambles, and just like the Bengals last year, all of a sudden end up in the Super Bowl simply because of one good offseason. That's so exciting, and the anticipation building up to that. Just like Macri said, it is unrivaled. I love it. Well, draft weekend has come and gone. We're sitting here Saturday evening. The draft just wrapped up. The undrafted free agents are starting to trickle in. Evan is posting Carson Strong jokes on Twitter, saying it may be the best Carson to ever play for the Philadelphia Eagles. So you're wow. either going to get a lot of hate or a lot of love from Eagles fans, Evan. <laughs> I don't know which way that's going to go for you. But regardless, it was a good joke. John, you'll appreciate this. What has made this weekend even more special? We had a little throwing competition in the backyard today. Nice. 22-year-old Evan Ronda, Dr. Lezis, I believe 26 years old. 
myself, 34, so the old man of the group. We were standing, you know, probably what, like 20, 30 yards, Evan, from various trees, having various competitions, like trying to hit the tree trunk or trying to throw it through a gap in the trees. And we was like first to three points, right? So if Lee went first and he hit the tree trunk, I had to hit it or he would get a point. So your boy went 2-0 and against the Young Guns. I'm not going to rub it in any more than that. I did have home field advantage. I have thrown at these trees before. But still, <laughs> I think I would have been the heavy underdog coming into this competition, John. It's impressive. I mean, that that speaks a lot to your uh, your experience, you know, it, at, at throwing the football. Um, you're a seasoned vet, obviously. Yep. Uh, very Tom Brady-esque, I would say. You know, I, I've been doing the... the, uh, the Stretching exercises. I've been cutting strawberries out of my diet. I've been spending less and less time with my family and more time with Gronk. So I think Tom Brady and I are on very similar career trajectories at this point. All right, Evan, are you are you okay after your defeat at my hands this morning? Yeah, you know, going in, I had some optimism, and then I threw the first pass and was immediately humbled as I realized, <laughs> ah, this is what looks like when your parents have you play volleyball, volleyball, and only volleyball as a child. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, for being a volleyball-only guy, um, he threw Evan threw a nice ball. He has some serious—he's a Jamarcus Russell type, right? <laughs> like, the, the arm strength is unquestioned. There were a few, a few that he uncorked that it was like— you just watch it sail over your head and land about 20 yards behind you. So Evan's got the arm strength. Like he's definitely a project in terms of the accuracy. we got a little Josh Allen syndrome going on right now. But as we know, John, uh, Josh Allen improved his accuracy. And I think with a little bit of coaching from yours truly, we can get Evan Ronda to a better place as a pocket passer. For sure. And the NFL covets those toolsy type uh, athletes like yourself, Evan. So, you know, rookie mistakes, we can forgive them as long as uh, you continue to develop and uh, and you'll hit your stride in the in the later years. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I boosted my draft stock from undrafted free agent to undrafted free agent, but it's all right. <laughs> Things are trending up. He's, you know, he's six foot three. He's got the, you know, pretty good escape ability. Uh, you know, he's, he's traitsy, John. He's got all the measurables you look for. He's got it between the ears. We know he's a sharp dude. So just got to refine the mechanics a little bit. That's why you send him off to David Cutcliffe, the QB expert, the QB whisper, and we'll, we'll get him whipped into shape here in a couple off seasons. Yeah. Question is, are your hands bigger than Kenny Pickett? Absolutely. Unquestionably. <laughs> your, your new uh, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback. Yeah. How are you feeling uh, after your team's draft hall there, Evan? You know, I was upset after the first night, obviously, because they drafted Kenny Pickett over Malik Willis. But they have been really making some picks that have made me happy. I loved the George Pickens pick. I also really liked the Calvin Austin selection. So I'm excited to see what they do with these, you know, really exciting young wide receivers. And, you know, there were some other exciting picks in there, too, with players I'm not quite as familiar with. But, you know, the optimism will always be there until I see the first snap. And then I will be reminded not everybody's a hit. So that's all right. But we'll see how things turn out. Yeah, I liked Pittsburgh's draft a lot, getting uh, Cam Hayward's younger brother. That was a lot of fun. Pittsburgh, chill out with the brothers, though. I think three sets of brothers is enough. Like, 
Let's let's cool it a little bit. But that was cool. I liked the Pickens pick. You got Pickett to Pickens, so I think there's some fun wordplay that your uh, play-by-play guys are going to have with that. Uh, I did like you were you were rooting for Calvin Austin all weekend. So to see him come to the uh, to the Pittsburgh Steelers, I was happy for you, John. The Browns, I don't think had a lot of picks in this draft, right? Because of the Deshaun Watson trade, maybe some later picks. Uh, yeah, it was yeah some later picks. I honestly, I, I tried not to pay attention to them. Uh, <laughs> um, they they didn't really do anything that interesting um, from what I remember. But I, 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 they traded the, back a few times. Yeah, I was gonna say we had the draft on, and we were like Evan was kind of keeping us updated. And I don't think I heard you mention one Cleveland Browns pick all weekend. There was one player, David Bell, that I was really excited about for the Browns. I think he could immediately step in and become a number two there and be pretty productive. Yeah, that was the guy from Purdue. Yes, is that right? Yeah. So, and they took um, a defensive tackle too, whose name is escaping me. He's got a really great name. I think it's like Fedarian or something. Uh, Fedarian Mathis. Yeah, I yes. think that was him, right? No, he went to the Commanders. Actually, let me see. I'll scroll. Okay, through. there's somebody else then. The Commanders. Perry and Winfrey. Perry and Winfrey. That's who I'm confusing him with. Yeah. Yes, Oprah's son. Very, very proud <laughs> of uh, her offspring there. So um, Colts, I thought, had a pretty decent draft. I mean, getting the most athletic tight end of all. That really worked on you, John. That, that, that joke was a good one. for you. Thank you. Those are the jokes that get me, the dad jokes. like <laughs> The dad jokes, yeah. We specialize in those here on the IDP show. But Colts, I thought, had a fine draft. Got the most athletic tight end prospect of all time in, uh, what was it? Jelani Woods is that the Jelani Woods? Jelani Woods, the 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 white wide receiver out of Cincinnati, Alec Pierce. Okay, fine. The the left tackle though, I did see PFF graded that as, as an elite pick in terms of value. Um, I can't remember the guy's name, but Bernard Raymond. There you go. Going to step right in, be a day one starter. It sounds like so. And then and then uh, Nick Cross, I think the safety. Yeah, Nick well. Cross in the third round. Yeah, so. Not a bad haul. I think I haven't really paid much attention to it beyond that. I think we took another tight end, uh, maybe uh, another offensive lineman in there somewhere. But uh, B-plus grade from PFF. So that's how I feel mostly about the Colts drafts. Under uh, Chris Ballard, we haven't had many like head-scratchingly bad drafts. So um, this is usually how I feel. Like We don't hit a home run. We trade back a lot. Uh, we take value. Usually we come out about a B-plus and – the roster ends up pretty solid. So mm-hmm. I did see where Chris or uh, where Jim Ursay John said that he thought Matt Ryan could be the starter for four years. So not four sure years. I want to wow. push Matt Ryan, yeah, to his age forty season. But uh, Jim Ursay, ever the optimist. Yeah, big time. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, Bailey Zappi ends up a Patriot. This is the darkest timeline. My <laughs> favorite quarterback potentially ever from Western Kentucky University, my alma mater, going to my most hated team in the NFL. So that's a major kick in the nuts. Um, we had a chance to take Desmond Ritter. We had a chance to take Malik Willis. We don't. So I was hoping for Ritter. That would have been that would have made the draft an A plus for me. But I'm going to trust that these guys are going to take that quarterback of the future when the opportunity is there. And uh, if this wasn't the year to do it, so be it. That's why they get paid the big bucks. So, gentlemen, I appreciate you joining me, though, here virtually and in person on this fine Saturday evening as the draft winds down. This We did this last year, John, and the young king gets to sit in with us this year for the best and worst 
landing spots for rookie IDPs. This is such a fun episode because most of the landing spots, John, are just like, oh, okay, that doesn't really move the needle much in terms of their outlook, right? So with this exercise, I liked the way you approached it, that this was basically like love-hate, right? Like this really moves the needle in a negative or positive direction in terms of your perception of this player's value. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I think that 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 was the way I looked at it. And some of it is like, I love it for 2022. And then some of them I love for, you know, 2023 and beyond, right? Um, Just as we go through, I'll I'll kind of kind of highlight which ones are which. But um, yeah, it was it was a tough draft. I mean, I think even for some of the offensive guys, people really struggled with some of the landing spots, right? And and we we had the same thing on the defense. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough year to kind of sort it all out um, for rookie drafts. But I mean, luckily we got plenty of rookie content coming in the IDP show feed, so uh, that should help. Yes, absolutely. Of course, we've got this episode. We've got a rookie mock draft episode on Monday. You've got your post-draft linebacker edge and safety episodes coming up with Kyle B., Joey, and John Glosser. So we got you covered top to bottom on rookies, folks. If you're looking for that type of content, you're in the right place. Evan, we mentioned on the live stream you are doing the rookie rankings the rookie idp rankings for reality sports online those will be going live on monday so make sure to check those out especially if you play in rso leagues how did you find this exercise of sorting through the landing spots to figure out what you loved what you hated and what you were kind of in the middle on it was really interesting i would almost call it refreshing because i think in years past and I mean, there hasn't been a large sample size for me, but in previous years, it just seemed like so much was going on. It was impossible to sort through. But, you know, when you get a general understanding of the players pre-draft, kind of rank them up a little bit, get an understanding of their talents, strengths and weaknesses, what to expect for them and what they need at the NFL level in order to be productive. And then you see the draft, you see those landing spots. It's almost instant. You just see the draft and you're like, okay, I like this or okay, I don't like this. And you get a really clear understanding of, you know, what their range of outcomes is. And so I'm, I'm really excited to, to further flesh out what these rankings look like because it's, it's going to be really exciting just to see people and their reactions to where these players are put because I think there's a very clear kind of understanding of what to expect from some of these guys. And a lot of these guys, not so much, real shakeup. So you'll definitely have something for everybody as far as where you want to invest your rookie draft capital this year. And that's what's fun, John, is not only starting to sort through how we feel about these landing spots and these players post-draft, but seeing how the general public feels about it. That's why these mock drafts are so helpful and why rookie drafts are so interesting is because you get a peek into what does the public think, right? Does the perception match up to what the reality, at least in our eyes, is for how we view these guys based on where they landed. So we got the first kind of piece of the puzzle, and then these drafts will really start to tell us how pe- how are people feeling? Like, are we maybe seeing things a little differently than the general public? So it's a fascinating puzzle to put together. It's like the draft, John, does not end when the draft ends, right? That's just kind of the kickoff to rookie season for dynasty leagues yeah for sure there's going to be a ton of um i think 
like variety as far as where people have uh, some of these players ranked. I think there's some first round draft capital that people are going to really fall in love with, but I'm not necessarily crazy about some of the the actual players within those spots. Um, so that it'll push them down my boards, but it might push them up some other people's boards, right? I think uh, Addy talked about it on the live stream about like Quay Walker, for example, um, being being a pretty good example of that. Daxton Hill, I mean, Trayvon Walker even, we'll see. Is he the first edge off the board because he was the first IDP or the first player taken in the NFL draft, right? So um, a lot a lot of that's going to be interesting to see how it, how it all shakes out amongst uh, the masses. All right, well, let's jump in, folks. And what we're going to do here to keep things balanced, we're going to jump back and forth between good and bad landing spots. We're going to go edge first, then linebacker, then safety, and then Evan has some guys here. So we've got 10 picks from John, five of each, and then Evan has four at the end. So you're going to get a little more than a baker's dozen here in terms of landing spot evaluations. And to kick things off, John, we are going to the Pacific Northwest, and your first bad landing spot is an edge rusher with a very fun name. Who's the first guy we're talking about? Yeah, we're talking to Boye's Tamafe, uh, Boye Mafe, uh, for it, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so an elite athlete for sure. Um, he was slightly undersized, uh, and I think despite the second round draft capital and that's going to be kind of the the sticking point for a lot of people is they're going to like that draft capital like we kind of said I, I do have a little bit of a hard time getting excited about this one at least for for 2022 so um thinking about what the seahawks kind of like to do along their defensive line and with their pass rushers they love to rotate their rushers almost as much as steve spagnolo loves to rotate his linebackers right so if they're all healthy, you have to assume that it's going to be a, a fairly even split, give or take, you know, 50 to 100 snaps between each guy, between Daryl Taylor, Boye Mafe, Uchenna and Wosu, Alton Robinson, Rasheem Green. Uh, they also took uh, Tyreek Smith in the fifth round of the draft this year out of Ohio State. So, they, they really want to make sure they have enough guys um, to, to rotate, but also to make sure that no, not one of them has really an easy path to success, it feels like. Uh, feels like. So uh, not to say that Mafe or Uchenna or, or whoever can emerge, but I, I feel like they're going to need to have like a really stellar season to kind of stand out uh, amongst the group. And uh, figuring out which one is, is going to do that is for me anyway, is not really worth the headache at this point in the off season. Um, that's something, you, you know, you might be able to figure out in season once you kind of see the snaps shake out and things like that. But uh, right now, uh, the, where they may go, if he, you know, even in the fourth round, Boye Mafe say of rookie drafts is not somewhere that I, I'd be willing to take him. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That was kind of my question is where does this drop him to now? And Evan, it seems like with this, pick in particular it truly was about landing with a team that uses a heavy defensive line rotation and that's just not what you want you don't want linebackers that land with teams that already have an established veteran and they typically run only one linebacker sets most of the time right that's not a great opportunity a great path to snaps for that linebacker same with defensive line if you land in a heavy rotation with guys who are similar caliber to you Maybe that's great for your start to your NFL career because you get eased in and you learn the game and you learn how to be a professional. But for IDP purposes, it does seem a little worrisome for a guy like Boye Mafe. Yeah, and what's interesting here is I feel like 
some newer IDP managers think Seahawks. Oh yeah, they don't really have anybody exciting. Okay, they added Uchenna Nuosu. Oh, they drafted Boye Mafe. Awesome. Those two guys are the two starters. Great. But yeah, this this understanding of it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Yeah, there's actually rotation here and you know, almost regardless of the talent or skill of the players there, they're going to stick to that rotation. And so there isn't that much optimism for a specific player winning out and earning a large percentage of snaps there. So I almost feel like in most leagues, unless your league is extremely sharp, the market might actually be higher on Boye Mafe than you, the listener, ought to be. So, you know, just keep uh, your finger on the pulse there and see how your, le- your teammates feel and, uh, you know, play accordingly. Love that. So Boye Mafe, like we said, John, it may be that he emerges alongside, you know, Yuchina Nwosu. That's certainly a possibility, but at least from what we can see right now, it's a muddy situation. And a muddy situation, like you said, that's something I want one of my league mates to draft rather than me taking that in a rookie draft. Yeah, it's it's somebody's somebody else's problem in, in a redraft or dynasty league or you know, if you really like them, somewhere to take guys like this would be like in a best ball league, right? You you pick one that you like, take a shot on them late in best ball. And, and you know, if they emerge, great. If not, you know, it, it doesn't cost you that much because it's late in best ball. And that's where you could grab a lot of these defensive linemen, right? So, um, yeah, I, I for for rookie drafts, I think there's, there's maybe some other players that might be worth a better shot. So... We'll mention the Kansas City linebackers here in just a little bit because there was a very talented, exciting rookie that got bit uh, by the Spagnolo snake. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But for now, we're going to go to Kansas City for a positive landing spot, John. This was a guy that we felt good about on night one of the draft. I remember talking him up on the live stream. He might have actually gotten some love as someone's favorite pick of the night. Who is the edge rusher that you thought landed in a primo spot there in Kansas City? Yeah, so we did talk about this one uh, on the live stream, and it was George Karloftis um, for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think it was Tripp um, that might have came out and said it was his favorite pick, uh, if I remember, or at least it was one of them for him. Um, and, and yeah, I completely agree. I mean, this is one of those situations where you can look at the depth chart and you can figure an easy path to, to snaps and success, right? So it basically consists of Frank Clark, uh, Michael Dana, and that's, that's about it, right? So even with Steve Spagnolo's hesitancy to play rookies. This situation essentially leaves no choice but to get Karloftis out there and help a pretty porous pass, pass rush. So it, it's a premium position too, edge rusher, right? It's not like linebacker where we'll have to worry about Spags getting too picky about who was on the field, regardless of NFL experience or anything like that. You get a guy like Karloftis uh, who did earn a 90.6 pass rush grade, 23.6% pass rush win rate to go along with 54 pressures and five sacks in 2021 at Purdue. Um, and he really proved his worth as a run defender as well. He posted 23 defensive stops against the run, which was tied for sixth among Big Ten edge defenders and had a career run defense grade of 72.8 since 2019. So really solid uh, player all around there who could play all three downs. Um, you know, he doesn't necessarily need to be this outside speed rusher to be effective in that system. Uh, he, and, and 
he, to his credit, he he did also start to show more of a willingness to develop uh, an outside move later in the season at at Purdue. So, hoping if he can add to that pass rush repertoire as he progresses in the NFL, he could develop into a really strong uh, NFL talent. So to TLDR this, John Frank Clark equals sign ass. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's as really we it. know, Frank Clark is ass. That is the. <laughs> So, Evan, with the premise established that Frank Clark equals sign ass and George Karloftis equals sign very good, uh, I am with John and with Tripp and with anyone else that was showering this pick with some love that this may be one of the best landing spots overall for any rookie IDP. Yeah, and if we take a look at last season alone, that defense struggled to pressure the quarterback. They were moving Chris Jones all around trying to find ways to get pressure on the quarterback. So let me tell you a story here, right? We start off with that being the premise. This defense is trying to find ways to pressure the quarterback. They can't do it. And being unable to pressure Joe Burrow and his terrible offensive line, they missed their shot on a Super Bowl. Now we head into the offseason. Tyreek Hill wants to get paid. They're unable to pay him. So they have to trade away Tyreek Hill and acquire more draft capital. Now, fast forward to the NFL draft, and the Kansas City Chiefs pass on wide receiver to take Boye Mafe. I'm sorry, not Boye Mafe. George George Kaloftis. I ruined the end of my story, too. I'm sure you guys are super, super hooked. Right? That should tell you how much they know that they need this. They need quarterback pressure, and they saw George Kaloftis falling down the board, and they said, this is our guy. We're going to wait to grab wide receiver, even though we just traded away Tyreek Hill, one of the most game-breaking wide receivers in the league, in order to draft George Karloftis. I think this is an absolutely premium position with an extremely talented player that is just primed to produce day one. Yeah, even though Evan Iron Man 3'd his story there with the Mandarin twist, <laughs> uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a compelling narrative, John, that... Even though there's this gaping hole now at wide receiver, they filled it to a certain extent with MVS, with Juju Smith-Schuster. They trade away a top two or three wide receiver in the NFL. And rather than taking his replacement, they go with George Karloftis. It seems to signal to me, if we believe this, this kind of premise that the draft reveals who teams think they are, then it seems to me to indicate that the Chiefs believe they are talent deficient at pass rusher and that George Karloftis is being brought in to fix a big problem for this team. Yeah, I'm glad that they were able to to recognize that because if they weren't, I think we'd have some big questions to ask about the Chiefs uh, and their their evaluation of themselves because yeah, like we said, it, there, there was nobody. There's no real talent there. I don't know what happened with Frank Clark. You know, he had that one good year in Seattle, but ever since then, uh, he's been nothing. And it's it's Chris Jones trying to do it by himself, basically, and them trying to make Chris Jones do it by himself, like Evan said. So, uh, yeah, th- it was a huge need for them. It, the opportunity is going to be massive. This was a guy that was getting mocked sometimes in the top 10 for a while as well. Ends up going, what, 30th overall? Uh, so really nice value for the Chiefs, too. Love that. Well, let's keep positive here and wrap up our edge rusher talk with another great landing spot and this time we are going to from one of the most talent rich teams in the nfl to one of the most talent poor the dirty south the atl the dirty birds 
John, who are we talking about here? A good landing spot for? Arnold Ebiketti, uh heading to the Atlanta Falcons, uh, goes in the second round. Uh, where was he? Overall, the 38th overall pick. So early second round to the Falcons. There were a ton of edge defenders taken in this draft, especially in the first two days. A bunch of them came off the board, but I don't think there was a team with a bigger need at the position. Kansas City was close, but I don't think there was uh, anybody in the entire draft that had a bigger need for edge rusher than the Falcons. Um, so they take Epichetti early day two, which uh, firstly, for IDP purposes, you, you like that good tra- draft capital. And they went with one of the best edges available as well. So um, after the top four guys, there might maybe even top just the top three. Aiden Hutchinson has one. Kevon Thibodeau, too. Um, you could make an argument for Trayvon Walker somewhere in here, depending on how much you like him. But I would say Karloft is three. I think Ebiketti has a is has a, a decent argument to be in the conversation within those top five uh, edge defenders, depending on how much you like him. But the opportunity is definitely there. Um, and, and he showed he could win in a number of different ways as a pass rusher at Penn State as well, right? So um, he had an impressive bull rush that he would break out just every once in a while where he was able to catch offensive linemen off guard. Uh, he's got great pursuit in the run game, and he could close quickly on the backside of those run plays as well. So graded out well uh, against the run in 2021. I think it was a 78.3 pa- uh, run defense grade. And ultimately, ultimately, it just comes down to this being a massive need for Atlanta. Now they get a guy who has shown he can be productive in college. He had 52 pressures and eight sacks last year. And then he has the metrics to to back it up, earning a 90.5 pass rush grade in 2021. So he's definitely going to be in the conversation uh, for those top five edges uh, in rookie drafts for me. Evan, to paint a story like you so beautifully did, talent poor team, edge needy, the neediest of edge needy teams, talented player, high draft capital, fills an immediate need for the Atlanta Falcons. What's not to like about this landing spot? Basically nothing. You could argue that because the team is so talent poor, it it could be difficult for Ebikadi to really break through offensive lines. But, you know, I haven't seen a ton of evidence that supports that kind of argument, but Really, to, to go along with that narrative that we're sharing early with just how bad this team is, listen to the grades of the top four defensive ends or edge rushers of this team last year. Steven Means had 693 snaps. He graded at a 46.5. This is really sad. I'm not even going to pronounce the number two guy's name, but he got a 54.2. They had a 55.9 you know, uh, uh, a 47.0. They didn't have a single guy on this team above a 57 at edge. And they only had like maybe two players on the entire defense that graded above an 80. This team is desperate for players. Now, obviously they lost Calvin Ridley and they have no wide receivers whatsoever. So they had to go Drake London with that first pick, but their second pick in the draft was Arnold Epicady. So I think that speaks pretty strongly about how desperately they know they needed an edge rusher. And while he might not necessarily have the best efficiency, simply because of who his teammates are on the defensive line, you can bet your butt he's going to get all the volume. Yeah, clear, very clear paths to snaps, John. We have to wonder, did that Atlanta Falcons defense of 2021 have some cousins of Frank Clark? Because it seems like they also might have been asked. <laughs> 
So I think we really have to stop and consider what's going on here with this Falcons team grading so poorly. But a great path to snaps, great path to relevance year one for IDP. So, John, let's say that you're in a five-round rookie mock draft like we have for most of our dynasty leagues. Where are you taking George Karloftis? Where are you taking Ebiketti? Are these like second, third, fourth-round guys for you? So I think depending on you know what the roster your roster makeup looks like if you're at a a need for edge uh, and you know Hutchinson and and Thibodeau are off the board I I wouldn't mind taking them near the end of the second round early third um, if you if you're willing to take that shot I think third round is probably where they'll end up going just because of how people value offensive players but honestly I wouldn't hate uh, taking the shot uh, late second if if you needed to in like a 12 14 team league. All right, there we go. So let's go from good. We've had a couple good, so we're going to balance it out now with a bad. And cow belly fuel, do me a favor, bud. I know you're probably mowing the yard or sitting on the couch enjoying an ice-cold beer. I need you to hit the fast-forward button four or five times and just skip through this next one because we're going to talk about Quay Quack Walker, and it's not going to be fun, my friend. John, Let's take it away. Let's try to get through this quickly for Kyle's sake. All right. Sorry, Kyle. I know you would have preferred wide receiver here, but uh, you know how the the Packers like to screw you and Aaron Rodgers. Um, but I, yeah, Quay Walker to the Packers. I mean, I, I loved Walker, uh, but pre-draft, I, I wasn't as high on him, obviously as Green Bay is having him as LB1. I had him as LB3. Um, I, you know, Kyle and I talked about him. I wish I remember where Kyle had him exactly. I know I was a little bit higher on him than a uh, lot higher on Walker than Kyle was, but I, I know we both ended up liking him quite a bit, but I was I was excited for him to land in a spot like the Detroit Lions or somebody where, somewhere where he can be, you know, a, an immediate starter and really great. Um, instead, he lands on a roster that was top five in the NFL last season in dime personnel. Uh, they utilized just one true off ball linebacker on those snaps. Um, that linebacker figures to be like it was last year, 2021 All-Pro Devondre Campbell, who just signed a five-year contract with Green Bay and was PFF's second highest graded linebacker in coverage last year. Um, you know, I love Campbell too. So this one was kind of a double bummer because, you know, he, and I get it. Maybe he's, you know, he's 29 years old or something. Um, there's an out in that contract somewhere. So I don't expect him to play out the entirety of the five-year contract. Um but it is it is still kind of a, a downer for for Quay Walker and a, a little bit for Campbell maybe long term. But the Packers, you know, they did actually increase their two linebacker looks by about 250 snaps from the year before under um, under Mike Pettin. So now with Joe Barry, so it's it's certainly more promising for Walker to hit a little bit more IDP pay dirt, but it's still not really enough that he'd be worth too high of a pick uh, in rookie drafts. So. I mean, all that being said, the Packers obviously valued Walker, like you said, above all other linebackers in this class, and he'll see the field enough to be maybe like an LB3 for for IDP purposes. He's just more than likely going to also be coming off the field uh, at a higher rate than than we'd like for our IDP linebackers. So he's another guy that um, I'll be letting others reach for when they when they get sucked in by the draft capital. Yeah, Evan, looking at spot track here, they have a potential out for Devondre Campbell with this new contract after 2025. 
Now, they could get out in 2024 and save about three to four million bucks. But let's say that this is the Devondre Campbell. This is the linebacker for the Packers for the next three seasons. And he plays at a high level. And we keep the same defensive coaching personnel and philosophy in place. I mean, this is a brick wall that it doesn't seem like Quay Walker is going to be able to get over if Devondre Campbell can keep up the performance we saw in 2021. Yeah, and I love what Macri said there about it's it's a cost-relative take here. Obviously, we love him as a player, and he should get some usage here in Green Bay. But if you just put yourself in the shoes of somebody who doesn't do as much digging into defensive schemes as you do, oh, wonderful listener, hey, the Packers just drafted a linebacker in the first round. I'm going to take this guy early in my rookie draft because he's a first-round linebacker. If that's all you think about it, then yeah, I can justify taking him earlier in rookie drafts. But once you dig into a little bit more, it's clear to see he's probably not going to get that much usage relative to other linebackers. The The Packers last season ran two linebackers on like 63% of snaps. They, wrote, they uh, ran one linebacker on about 36% of snaps. So that's 36% of snaps that, you know, Quay Walker would be sitting on the bench. So you have to ask yourself, do you want that? Or do you want some guy who's going to play three downs? I mean, I could imagine Kamu Gruger hill I mean, Christian Kirksey, somebody in the Texans defense who's going to get three downs every single game. I would rather have that guy on a weekly basis in a redraft league. I mean, shoot, anybody who's going to see three downs that I can expect to see three downs, I will more than comfortably start in my lineup over Quay Walker any given week unless Devondre Campbell gets injured. Yeah, that is, I don't know, such a puzzle for me because the Packers clearly like this guy. It's such a head-scratcher, John, because on the one hand, we have the Packers saying, we really like this guy. We're willing to piss off Aaron Rodgers, tempt tempt him into committing murder, (laughs) as I mentioned on the live stream, throwing Shailene Woodley off a cliff in (laughs) anger to take Quack Walker and yet they, it would be like, it's the Jordan Love pick. Is this not the Jordan Love pick of show me this guy's path to snaps? Yes, you can play with more than one linebacker. You can't play with more than one quarterback. But, John, this was just incredibly discouraging because Quay Walker felt like a really fun sleeper if he landed in the right situation. And for me, this is a worst-case scenario. Yeah, definitely. And And I'm glad you brought up the Jordan Love thing because it's not just – you know, the quarterback position, like they've, they've shown that they don't really care if they've spent a high pick on these players, like Jordan Love, they spent a first round pick and now they're going to let him sit behind Aaron Rodgers. They spent a second round pick on AJ Dillon. Then they re-signed Aaron Jones, right? So they're, they're, they're not too concerned about, you know, hurting any of these, uh, any players on their uh, team's feelings, right? Depending, de- doesn't matter where they've drafted them. If they want them to sit um, and just be backups, they'll they'll do that. So um, I, I would expect the same from Quay Walker. And yeah, it is unfortunate because I think Quay Walker had a lot of potential if he could be an LB1 somewhere. Um, but it's going to take, uh, it's going to take him beating out a very good Devondre Campbell to, to do that right now. Yeah, and could Devondre Campbell turn back into a pumpkin? Sure. Yep. And maybe this is Devondre Campbell pumpkin insurance. Who knows? But at least from where we sit right now with the information we have available, 
It's a very discouraging landing spot for IDP. This next guy, John, this is why you have to dig into the specifics. This is why you have to look at contract and dig into context a little more because you might say, okay, well, if Quay, uh, Quay Walker landing behind Devondre Campbell, who just signed a big deal, is a bad landing spot, then why do you have Devin Lloyd landing alongside newly minted multimillionaire Foisaid Aluakun landing the big free agent deal in Jacksonville? Why does he have a good landing spot tag? John, explain yourself. Yeah, so this is a good point, right? So it's about how these coaches deploy their defenses, right? So with the Packers deploying more one linebacker looks, you have uh, Mike Caldwell coming over as the new defensive coordinator from for the Jaguars, formerly of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now you think back at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, scheme with their linebackers, it was Levante David and Devin White. Those are guys that played every down roles uh, uh, every game for basically every snap, right? So those are both two fantasy relevant IDPs. Um, and we project the same for, for Devin Lloyd and for Foye Aluakon. So I do expect Lloyd to play a ton as a rookie and be utilized in a way that also plays to his strengths as a blitzer as well, right? So um, going back to Caldwell's Bucks, they rushed their linebackers at a rate that put them in the top five in the NFL last season. And that was led by Devin White, who had 162 pass rush attempts. So um, among the top uh, linebackers in the league, for sure. And Lloyd has proven that he can be an asset there. He posted an 88.4 pass rush grade, 31 pressures, eight sacks in 2021, all of which were top 12 in the country among linebackers last year. So all of this is to say if if IDP rosters need immediate production in 2021 alone, you'd be hard pressed to find a better option than Lloyd, who can and will fill the stat sheet as I'd say the rookie LB1. Um, and just to kind of add a little bit of a bonus to that, I had put out like a thread on, on Twitter uh, earlier in this offseason, you know, about team coverages and things like that and how they affect tackle efficiency. Uh, cover two uh, the cover two coverage scheme was the most efficient tackling uh, scheme for linebackers. It was a greater than 15% uh, average tackle efficiency for linebackers that uh, were in a cover two system with the average being about 11 to 13%. So almost a full uh, two plus points uh, in tackle efficiency for those linebackers. And that is something that uh, the Buccaneers ran uh, a lot in uh, under Mike Caldwell. So um Picturing a line, say for example, a 900 snap linebacker, that could be anywhere around like a 30 tackle difference for a season, basically, uh, to simplify it. Evan, my mind is exploding right now thinking about Devin Lloyd filling the Devin White role in the Jaguars defense. Like, what are the odds right now that we're looking at two top tier dynasty linebackers both named Devin? Uh, yeah, honestly, the only thing that I have to add to that is Devin Bush. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> There's still optimism on this side of the table. John, you can't get a Steelers fan down <laughs> with their Devin optimism. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I love what John said here, Evan, that it seems like, again, context matters. The Jags play a different style of defense, at least from what we can project, looking at Caldwell coming over from the Bucks. This is a different situation than what Quay Walker finds himself in. Absolutely. And and Macri honestly hit all the main points. As 
as somebody who has to think really, really hard about how to evaluate players when making difficult decisions, you need to have a solid process when coming to a conclusion about those players. And so the process when it comes down to how to find value at linebacker starts with opportunity. You might think talent goes first, but you can be talented and sit the bench. You can be bad and get snaps. The bad player is going to get snaps. So we know he's going to get an opportunity in Jacksonville simply because of the kind of a defense that they run. Step number one, check. Step number two, talent. Yeah, he was the linebacker one pre-draft, according to most analysts, and uh, he seems to be that guy. So box number two, check. Okay, now you want to get really meta. You want to get into the weeds and talk about defensive scheme, play calling, what kind of coverages. Macri just called it. Cover two has the highest tackle efficiency for any linebacker. Boom. Box number three, check. I cannot think of a better situation for any linebacker than the situation that Devin Lloyd is in right now for Jacksonville. If you want to go in and spend a first-round pick on a linebacker, now, I probably wouldn't, but if you want to be that guy that says, screw it, I don't care, my team looks amazing, all I need is a linebacker, shoot, do it. I cannot think of a better reason and a better player to go and just get than this guy right here. Yeah, it's a great question, John. I was going to ask. Let's... um we always talk about on the show, the leagues we play in tend to skew toward big, you know, big scoring, uh, big play scoring. Uh, and so my question is, let's say you are in a big play scoring league. Is Devin Lloyd your IDP one in rookie drafts or are you still going with one of those premier edge rushers? So, yeah, you know me, I, I like my my defensive ends. I like my edge rushers. Um, so I, I, I like Hutchinson and Thibodeau enough that I would have them over Lloyd, but it's it's super close. I mean, I, I wouldn't fault anybody if you have a bigger need at linebacker or you just like Lloyd better than Hutchinson and Thibodeau. I am, I'm not going to fault anybody for going linebacker over uh, Hutchinson and Thibodeau, especially with that pass rush upside. He can definitely uh, outperform uh, those guys. And I, I think I mentioned it on the stream for redraft purposes. I would definitely be putting him as the, the number one rookie IDP uh, for 2022. There you go. And so from one Jacksonville linebacker with a smiley face next to his name to one Jacksonville linebacker with a frowny face next to his, <laughs> who is the new Jacksonville Jaguar whose landing spot we're not feeling the best about, John? Yeah, this one was a bummer. Chad Muma uh, goes also to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Another, uh, So this is a day two pick on a linebacker. Um, he, you know, we were talking off air that Muma really felt like everyone's kind of favorite linebacker heading into the draft, or at least the one that people were most excited about, right? Because of his tackling ability and things that he showed in college. Um, but now I'm pretty concerned about the opportunity, right? So for whatever reason, the Jaguars decided that they wanted to pay Poye Luakon $45 million over three years, and then they drafted two off-ball linebackers in the first two days of the draft. Uh, it, it's it's a little puzzling, but you know, to each his own. And the difference between Devin Lloyd and Chad Muma, if you're wondering, you know, why can't Chad Muma uh, play and, and not Devin Lloyd or why not Chad Muma and not or why Chad Muma and not Foye Aluakon? But I, I think the difference is pretty massive. Right. So Devin Lloyd, in my opinion, uh, is far and away the best linebacker, I think, in this draft class. Uh, and it, so I'm not worried about him for 2022 and beyond. Foye Aluakon, I think there's, you know, 
talent-wise, you can make the argument, but contract-wise, I don't think there's going to be much of a question there that he's going to be on the field. He's going to be starting. Um, and the Jags and, and Mike, Mike Caldwell, like I mentioned, they also like Lloyd um, probably to be uh, used as a blitzer as well. And I don't think that was one of Muma's strengths at all in college. Uh, he had, I think, 95 blitz attempts, but just a 67.9 pass rush grade. Didn't look great doing it either. So he's a solid player, but now unfortunately figures to be the odd man out until maybe injury or something like that opens the door for him, uh, in which case... I'd rather just wait until like the fifth round to take a chance on him, maybe late fourth if you really love him. But uh, it's it, it's it's a tough it's it's a tough uphill battle for him to get on the field at this point. Tough sitch, Evan. But let me let me make, let me make a case here for where Chad Muma can still be appealing. Foise Luakun has an out in his contract, twenty twenty four, so we don't really see a clear path there, barring injury. But that's where I would make the case in best ball drafts. If you wanted to take Foisate Aluakun insurance, because how would you describe Aluakun? Tackle machine, right? One of the, it, John, he led the NFL in tackles last year, correct? He did, yeah. And uh, yeah, I like where you're going with this because he's an undersized linebacker too, but yeah. That's right. So the the thought here for me, Evan, is maybe if you take Aluakun stack him with a Chad Muma who would be the fill-in for him, another linebacker described as a tackle machine coming out of Wyoming, and that way you're covered. Even if you don't get a Luakun, I think you could take a swing on Muma late in your best ball drafts because what if you do get an injury? Suddenly you're looking at a guy with 100-plus tackle upside potentially. Yeah, you're you're getting me really excited talking about this best ball draft strategy. I've got Muma in every, I think, best ball just about, so I'm talking <laughs> myself into the best ball strategy as well at this point. And hey, yeah, I mean, you're you're not wrong. There is a case that could be made. Now, stacking in general is an interesting philosophy, so you're going to get me a little bit into the weeds just to start off my take here. But generally speaking, right, stacking is not a good idea when it comes to stacking running backs, for example, for three reasons. Number one... You don't necessarily know who the handcuff is. Number two, you don't necessarily know if the handcuff's going to be any good. And, you know, number three, you limit your upside because only one guy is going to start at any given moment. But I don't necessarily see that being the case with linebacker because, number one, we do know who the handcuff is. It's, it's Chad Muba, definitively. Yes. Number two, I think, generally speaking, we are all very confident that he will be good when given opportunity. And number three... You know, there's a chance Foyer and Chad can both start at the same time if Devin Lloyd is the one that gets injured. Mm -hmm. And so the thought process here is stacking linebackers in best ball might not be a bad idea. I've been trying that a little bit in some best ball leagues of my own with guys like Trey Greenlaw and Aziz Alshair. So, you know, I'll get back to you on whether or not that works. But theoretically speaking, you are definitely raising your floor by stacking linebackers here. Now, in non-best ball circumstances... This gets a little less optimistic. Yes. I think his price tag will far outweigh his production. And I, you know, I was trying to think earlier in this, in this recording, what would need to happen in order for you to want to acquire him? Because you have to think, right? You let one of your, your league mates draft him. Okay. So your league mate drafts him and come week one, he doesn't put up many points. Week two, he doesn't put up many points. Week three, he doesn't put up many points. It's a Zayvon Collins situation almost, except he doesn't necessarily have that, well, don't worry, next year it'll be his time. 
But if you're the manager that is trying to trade for Chad Muma, you know, do you really see there being a reason to want to trade for him outside an injury risk? Because now you're caught holding the bag for him. And are you really willing to pay as much as you'd have to pay in order to acquire him just to hold an injury risk linebacker? I, I can't find myself wanting to do that in any situation for the next two or three seasons. What's up, y'all? It's Josh here with the IDP Show, and I want to take a quick second to tell you about a new partnership. If you've listened to this show for any amount of time, you know we are big fans of The Athletic. And I know what you're thinking, Josh, there's so much good sports coverage out there. How can you possibly justify paying for sports coverage every month? And I thought the same thing. I was skeptical as well until I checked it out. And I have to tell you, I don't even really look at other sports sites anymore. It is the best, the top tier. We're talking not just the NFL, but college sports and other professional sports leagues as well. And not only that, you get access to their podcast library ad-free. For me, as a fan of the Athletic Football Show with Robert Mays, that's enough of a reason for me to subscribe right there. But I'm telling you, you're going to love the coverage. If you're a fan of one of these teams, they have the best beat writers in the country, in my opinion, who produce work every single week. So you want to check this out. I promise. I had the same reservations that you did but once i saw what i was getting with my athletic subscription i'm not going back it is the only way forward if you're a serious fan of the nfl so we are thrilled to announce that if you are interested in trying out the athletic we now have a free 30-day trial offer you can check it out in the episode description you'll see a link Sign up, get 30 days free. Try it for yourself. Test out the claim here that you can't go back once you check out The Athletic. And if you like it, subscribe after the free 30-day trial. It gives us a little bit of support here through this affiliate program. So again, The Athletic free 30-day trial. Check out the episode description. Give it a try. I think you're going to like it. Let me know what you think. What's up, everybody? Josh here with the IDP Show. Now, if you've been listening to our show for any amount of time, you've probably heard of Reality Sports Online, the powerful fantasy sports platform where league members get to build and manage their fantasy team like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you tried it? It's time to see what all the buzz in the Dynasty community is about. And the IDP show is making it happen for listeners. We've partnered up with RSO to offer new members 10% off their annual site fee. Just use promo code IDP show after your 14 day trial is complete. So, what are you waiting for? With RSO, you have free agency, multi year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, 
and much, much more. Like we said, it's the closest thing you can get to being an NFL general manager. Think it sounds complicated? It's not. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is that it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. Think you're among the fantasy elite? Well, this is the platform to test your metal. Just remember to use the promo code IDP show to get 10% off the site fee. Again, that's promo code IDP show to get 10% off the site fee for your leagues in 2022. Fantasy just got real with Reality Sports Online. What's up, everybody? Josh Raymer here with the IDP Show, and I am so excited to share some big news with you all today. We are announcing a new project that has been a collaborative effort between the IDP Show, IDP Guys, and Dynasty Football Factory. It is the IDP Draft Kit. Now, whether you're new to IDP or you've been playing for decades, we could all use a little help once draft day rolls around. After all, the foundation we lay during the draft is what sets us up to win a championship or, if you're in a dynasty league, be a top contender for years to come. The IDP Draft Kit is the resource you need to dominate your drafts. We've got you covered with combined and positional rankings for both redraft and dynasty leagues. Now, this isn't a static draft resource either. It'll be updated throughout the offseason so you stay ahead of the curve. More of a do-your-own-research fantasy player? No problem. We've got top-level analysis from some of the brightest minds to help you identify opportunities for each of the 32 NFL defenses. If you've thought about trying IDP but were hesitant to take the plunge, don't worry. We're here to help guide you with an IDP starter kit plus our preferred scoring settings for a new league. It's everything you need to hit the ground running and absolutely flatten the IDP learning curve. Your road to IDP glory starts here. No more missing the playoffs or coming in second. All you need to do are follow these two simple steps. Step one, pre-order the IDP draft kit today. Step two, get ready to destroy your league mates. That's it. Once you have the IDP draft kit, you'll be so far ahead of your competition, they'll swear you're about to lap them. So what are you waiting for? Go to theidpdraftkit.com today to pre-order the IDP draft kit. When you use that link, you'll automatically get our early bird pricing applied. And our early bird pricing is 50% off the regular price. But don't delay because this pricing won't last forever. So, one more time, visit the idpdraftkit.com and pre-order today. go uh, from crushed dreams with Chad Muma and best ball stacking strategies to 
dreams that we're feeling good about. We mentioned Channing, Tatum, Tyndall in our Sleepers podcast with Mike Wollert. So, John, it is fun to see him here on your list of best landing spots. What do you like about Tyndall landing with the Miami Dolphins? Yeah, so I, I, I like Tyndall as, as a player. Um, I mean, he has limited starting experience as a linebacker. Um, he, he was just playing behind like a lot of other Georgia linebackers for his college career. But this past year, he did get a chance to play a bit more. Um, and he, you know, he has a, ended up with a lot of positives uh, for him on tape. So uh, he had really great range. He's a solid run defender. He's not a liability in coverage. These are great things for for not only IDP purposes, but for keeping him on the field uh, NFL-wise. So the other thing is we don't know exactly what Miami's defense will look like uh, this year? Will it remain the same? Will it change? I know Brian Flores is gone, but the defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer, is still there um, from the previous year. So there there may be elements of last year's really, you know, heavy man coverage, pass rush um, heavy team, but uh, there there could also be a shift in that too. So I... I for, for Tyndall specifically, I, I think there's a lot to like about him if you're the Dolphins. I mean, solid numbers across the board, just looking at his PFF grades, 85.4 overall, 81.9 coverage, 73.7 run defense, and 81.5 pass rush grade with 26 pressures and nine sacks on 102 attempts. So even if they do return with that super blitz heavy scheme that uh, you know, he's shown at least that he could be a major asset there as well. Um, so I really love the fit with him in Miami. And if you're looking to kind of take a swing on him in the later rounds of rookie drafts, I think that could pay dividends, maybe not this year, but down the road. Um, I know, again, that kind of lack of experience as a starter, along with the Dolphins commitment to somebody like Jerome Baker, it, I, I think there it's Maybe not for 2022, but for dynasty purposes, it's a really nice spot for him to develop as the number two right now that could be groomed into their future number one. Evan, I know we had a lot of conversation this weekend about Channing Tindall. You were pretty excited once you saw this landing spot. Is it what's John's been speaking to here that's lighting up your Christmas tree? Yeah, I, I think he's laid out a like a 50th percentile outcome right here. Probably the most likely outcome. He probably doesn't step in and see three downs. But I would say it's not extremely unlikely that he steps in and sees a three-down roll. I would put it at like a, a 75th percentile outcome. Like It's not extremely unlikely. It's not the most likely outcome. But all he has to do is work alongside Jerome Baker. I mean, if he can just beat out you know, the number two there, who I believe is a Landon Roberts right now, there's a chance that he secures a three-down roll. Now, I don't know for sure that the that the Dolphins will have two three-down linebackers. It's certainly possible. Um, last season, they ran two linebackers at 67%. They ran one linebacker at 27%. So the linebacker two roll there has a chance to be relevant. But again, either way, I believe that he's an extremely talented linebacker. And if not this year, perhaps next year he sees that role increase. He's certainly somebody that should fall in rookie drafts because I don't believe that most IDP managers see this as a landing spot that is hotly interesting necessarily. I wouldn't see somebody wanting to reach up and grab him in the second or third round of an IDP rookie draft. So if he falls and you've got a pick there and you're like, I'm willing to take a shot on a linebacker and I don't need him to produce day one, I would be very interested in taking this guy here. 
There's something to be said, John, for stigma breaking when it comes to landing spots. Because you think about the Miami Dolphins linebackers, and you're like, ah, yeah, Jerome Baker, LB2, LB3 type. But then outside of that, you're talking about, like, the dog man, Vince Beagle. You know, like, it's not Raekwon McMillan. Like, it's not a position group that inspires any sort of confidence. So what I like here is that not only do you have a talented player landing in a nice spot, but you're working against the public perception that the Miami linebacking core is gross and not fertile ground for IDP production. So that makes me even a little more excited about Channing Tatum Tyndall landing with the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's you, you look at the guys that they've had there previously and uh, under that defensive scheme, like Evan said, you know, previously it was more of a one linebacker scheme under Brian Flores. And we'll see how much of that uh, stays and changes this year. But um, it's not out of the realm of outside of the realm of possibilities that Tyndall is able to get on the field more than the previous Miami LB2 and especially should be a, a better um a more efficient tacklers these guys who were not not only not playing enough snaps but they were also um pretty inefficient as far as tackle production goes so just really killing uh their value there and, and making it seem like that lb2 uh spot is is much worse than it is and it's it's not great but it could be better this year by by a big margin so could be better let's transition now to a situation that idp managers keep hoping is better but folks, Steve Spagnolo has no interest in your IDP roster. In fact, I think his mission in life is to submarine any hopes that you have for linebackers employed within his defense. And John, old Steve the Snake claimed another victim this weekend. Which linebacker is being pulled into the jaws of the Anaconda? Yeah, so, I mean, we all... Should have had a feeling this was coming, uh, but I, I kept trying to warn everyone, either on the Twitters or in the group chats. Uh, <laughs> I, I was hinting that it could be Chad Muma, but it ends up being another beloved pre-draft IDP linebacker in Leo Chanel going to the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, it's funny because Chanel, to me, when we, when I was talking linebackers with Kyle B um, before the draft, he I, he I comped him to kind of like the 2022 version of Nick Bolton uh, coming out, like this really uh, great run defending linebackers who were pretty limited in coverage pl- as, as far as being a coverage player goes. And now they get to be teammates in linebacker hell. So you hate to see that. Um, and Spags and the Chiefs, they're, they're going to continue to rot- rotate their linebackers heavily. Right. And it just kills everyone involved. So, for example, Nick Bolton last year, he led all Chiefs linebackers in snaps with just 623 total snaps. Um, For perspective, that ranked 54th among all linebackers, and he played in 16 games. So it's not like we could even blame injuries for that. It's it's just far from an ideal situation for any of these guys, whether it's Nick Bolton, Willie Gay, Leo Chanel, Jermaine Carter, Darius Harris, Dorian O'Daniel, whoever the hell you like uh, in Kansas City, it just it just continues to be a, a hot mess over there. John continuing to twist the knife, Evan throwing Dorian O'Daniel under the bus. He's <laughs> already had a rough enough couple drafts with them continuing to bring in highly drafted linebackers, and now the Chiefs have done it once again, bringing in Leo Chanel. Is this a death knell for his IDP value in your eyes as well? Yes and no, and yes and mostly yes. 
As somebody who had the So you're telling me there's a chance for Dorian O'Daniel is what you're saying. <laughs> Stick around. Don't get too excited. I see you sweating a bit. Hold on. Let me explain to you the situation here. So as, as somebody who had the wonderful pleasure of getting to roster Anthony Hitchens last year, I can tell you, if you are trying to predict which linebacker will see the valuable work on a weekly basis, you will be wrong more than you'll be right. A lot more than you'll be right. And that decision-making process can lose you weeks. Now, the line, uh, the, the Chiefs use three linebackers on 28% of snaps, two linebackers on like 45% of snaps, and one linebacker on 27% of snaps. And almost every single week, there is a linebacker that puts up weak-winning points. If you look back at last year and you look at the combination of their top three guys, maybe even their top four guys, every single week, just about, one of them put up a ton of points. And if you had to try and guess which one it would be before the week happened, you would be wrong almost every single time. But, and here's the but, if you're in a best ball league, yep, yep, you already know where I'm going with this. If you're in a best ball league and you get a shot at one of these guys, you don't have to worry about the part of deciding when to start them. You just get them on their good weeks and you don't get them on their bad weeks. So what does this mean for Leo Chanel? Probably nothing because he's going to be more expensive than you're willing to pay in a best ball league. For the other guys, it's great. It pushes down Willie Gay. It pushes down Nick Bolton because now everybody's concerned that Leo Chanel is going to steal some of their snaps. When in reality, they were probably going to get about the same the whole time and you probably weren't going to be able to guess when they'd be good. But now if you want to snag them in the best ball league, you can get them on their good weeks. In any other league format, the process of having to decide when to start these guys is just not worth the headache. And unfortunately, what does that mean for Leo Chanel? It means I will not be rostering him anywhere. Sorry, Evan, I was putting Dorian O'Daniel into my queue for all the best ball drafts that we're in. Um, I believe you said he's on the path to LB1 finish this year. So Something like that, yeah. Something like that. Uh, so, John, this is a great point here that we were trying to decide Nick Bolton, Willie Gay, none of the above. Option, you know, C, which is basically take a cyanide pill in terms of IDP assets. <laughs> so the beautiful part here, the silver lining in this cloud of feces is that Leo Chanel is now going to depress, like Evan said, the perceived value of a, a uh, Willie Gay, a Nick Bolton, so it actually kind of works out a little bit because now you're not having to pay as much for these guys. Yeah, ultimately, I mean, somebody had to do it, right? They're, the Chiefs were always going to be bringing in another linebacker um, to do that and bring down the value of uh, Nick Bolton and Willie Gay, who people were very excited about um, when Anthony Hitchens was cut, when Ben Neiman was gone. Um, it was it was Nick Bolton and Willie Gay. They were the ones left on the roster. But uh, this was it's always felt inevitable that there was going to be somebody to come in uh, and basically dampen that value. And now that it's Chanel, um, yeah, maybe you can get Nick Bolton at, at a reasonable price um and more and closer to where he actually should go as opposed to um you know reaching for him in in the earlier parts of the the linebacker draft we'll see how it plays out if this does in fact depress the value of these existing chiefs linebackers but john let's move now to the safety position there was a certain safety that landed with the cincinnati Bengals that you think 
may have not had the best landing spot. Who are we talking about here? Yeah, so Daxton Hill uh, going to the Cincinnati Bengals near the end of the first round. So we we did talk about this a little bit on the live stream um, about how uh, Daxton Hill moved over to primarily like a slot corner role last season with Michigan and, and doesn't necessarily fit like a typical safety role. Um, but that being said, there's been talks that, you know, he could be the Jesse Bates replacement because they just gave Jesse Bates only the franchise tag. They haven't extended him. He doesn't seem too happy that he hasn't gotten extension yet. So there's that possibility for him, which could open up some viability for IDP for Daxton Hill. Um then there's the Von Bell situation. So I don't believe he's the Von Bell replacement by any means. I just don't think he has the size to play in that role. Um, plus the Bengals drafted actually an athletic and versatile safety uh, that might fit in that role a bit better in the fifth round today. Uh, Tyson Anderson out of Toledo um, who has and can play all over the field, especially uh, in the box. So um, I feel like that's the kind of player that might fit into that uh, Von Bell role a little bit more. Now, he could another possibility, and this has been brought up now by a friend of the IDP show, Nate Tice, and by PFF's lead uh, draft analyst, Mike Renner, that he could be the Eli Apple replacement at outside corner. So he has limited uh, experience in that role, but considering his length, his size, natural coverage ability, I think that could make sense. But ultimately, that kind of torpedoes his IDP value because he's playing outside corner and he's not playing the safety. Um, so for IDP, I'm just not interested in Hill right now. I mean, the DB position is so deep that there's not really a need to pay up for him. And then when it comes to rookie drafts, I think there will be like likely people who do pay up for him because of that first round draft capital. Uh, and I just won't be interested. Evan, there are certain safeties. We're going to talk about one here in just a minute that can punch through this strategy of fade DBs. Right? There are certain players that are worth paying up for, but when you have a glut this sort of fat middle of DBs that are all going to produce roughly the same. I didn't hear anything from John in that analysis that gives me any sort of confidence in taking Daxton Hill in rookie drafts. Yeah, uh, the reason you didn't hear it is because there was nothing there. I was going to say, I was <laughs> waiting for some sort of positive kernel. But even the thing of like, well, he could be the Eli Apple replacement. Again, that tanks his IDP value. So if you're a safety playing cornerback, that's not great. Um, so yeah, this is a dude I think that, at least in our leagues, I'm not going to be surprised if I don't see him go in like a five-round rookie draft. Yeah, and it's it's tough too. If if you're playing in a league where safeties and cornerbacks are both just listed as DB, then DB is quite literally the deepest position in all of fantasy football. So fading DB, absolutely, like sign me up, and I'm I'm all for it. And all while Macri was explaining his situation, I was trying to come up with some sort of a silver lining. Maybe Von Bell or Jesse Bates are in the final year of their contract. Maybe he could play another kind of position. But no scenario would justify what you would have to pay to get him. This is a first-round safety. The Bengals picked him. The Bengals invested first-round capital into this guy. This is the thought process that one of your league mates will likely have and they will almost certainly like him more than you do now that you've heard the truth about Daxon Hill. I just can't think of a scenario where you'd want to take him over that guy. It's like they're, your league mate's walking toward the bear cave, and you're like, just keep going. Just a little further in. Just keep looking. There's not a, there's not a bear in there. Don't worry about that. 
That's what you're saying, Evan. Let your league mates walk into the bear cave while you keep strolling on to your picnic. Absolutely. All right. So, from bear murder to a player who could be an absolute killer for your IDP lineups as soon as 2022. John, I don't know about you. I know you're an edge guy, right? Like, you love taking some edges in your rookie drafts. But, man, I think you could make a pretty strong case for this next guy to be the overall IDP number one. But at the very least, he is the safety one for this 2022 class. That's right. Yeah. Kyle Hamilton going to the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I mean, yeah, this was another one we talked about on the live stream, right? I think I said it was my favorite pick uh, of the first round. Um, and now for IDP, I mean, he's going to first off, he's going to start over Chuck Clark. Uh, there's already talks about the Ravens wanting to trade Chuck Clark. But really, if you were worried about Chuck Clark being a roadblock for Hamilton, then it's unlikely you really believed in Hamilton in the first place and you weren't going to draft him anyway. So Hamilton's he's going to do everything. He's going to have a chance to come down and play in the box. He's going to play in the slot. He's going to play deep, depending on how the Ravens want to utilize him from play to play. Um you know, there's a reason that he's getting the the Derwin comp, right? And and that versatility is a big part of it, along with the size as well. So Hamilton should also be, you know, comparing him to, to Chuck Clark, who, who's still on the roster, a better better player for tackle production as well. Clark produced just a 7.8% tackle efficiency in 2021, which is well below average for the position. Hamilton's career tackle efficiency of 9.6% would be about a full point above average for NFL safeties, which I think speaks a lot to like his range, his instincts, his ability to wrap up and make those tackles. Um, and he did earned like an 81.4 tackling grade and had just a six and a half percent missed tackle rate in 2021 he just does everything well and in a league that is wanting to get faster on defense find these defensive weapons that they can move around the field uh like a derwin james at kyle hamilton really fits that mold and and could be massive for for idp uh, if he's utilized in the right way and he's everything that we think he's going to be there wasn't much, Evan, that could have tanked Kyle Hamilton's value. This was such a locked and loaded defensive stud that, barring something catastrophic, he was going to remain the safety one. And this feels almost like a best-case scenario in terms of landing spot. He's one that I'm absolutely thrilled with where he ended up now that we're sitting on the other side of the 2022 NFL draft. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was doing a little bit of digging earlier before the draft started. I was looking at Chuck Clark, and I was wondering why he was so disappointing last year because I was looking at his measurables, and you know he saw so many snaps in the sweet spot, and he saw so many snaps, period. And I was like, why was Chuck Clark so annoying? Why was he such a letdown? And Mac recovered it right there. He had such a low tackle efficiency. He just wasn't that good. Well, sub in Kyle Hamilton... Now you have all those same metrics, really high percentage of sweet spot snaps, a ton of volume in general, except now you get a player that is extremely talented. You have to be in love with this guy. I'm in love with this guy, and I'm a Steelers fan, so that says something when I love this guy. Now, as far as where you'd want to take him in a draft, that is a really interesting question. It almost, interestingly enough, mirrors a question I had last year with a player of a similar name, Kyle Pitts. Another position that I don't tend to invest heavily into, tight end, but a player that looks to be a generational talent 
in a situation that has a ton of opportunity. Well, one year removed from Kyle Pitts' rookie season, and we see he has maintained his value. He produced relatively well, about as well as we expected from him. And, man, he was drafted really highly. Now, same thing goes here. Kyle Hamilton now in an IDP position, in a position that I just a couple minutes ago said you could fade. I think this is another one of those Devin Lloyd situations where he checks every single box that you'd want to check. And if you're in a situation where you just want a starting safety and you don't care if you're paying up to get him, this is certainly justified as an overinvestment. But if you're thinking you can get him at a good price, it's just not going to happen. You tell me one person that got a good deal on Kyle Pitts last year, and I will find you a house in Arizona right next to mine that's set up on the ocean side because I just don't believe it happened. So Kyle Hamilton, you're going to have to pay up to get him, but you are going to get so many points because of it. So Evan, what I'm learning from this is that you live on the ocean, dude. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. If there's anything that cuts through that dry heat in Arizona, it's oceanfront property. John, <laughs> what do you? what would you put the odds at Let's say he is the Chuck Clark replacement. Let's say Chucky C is shipped out the door, and this is Kyle Hamilton's job. Mm-hmm. What do you put the percentage chance at that Kyle Hamilton finishes top 12 in IDP scoring at the safety position in 2022? Wow. You said percentage-wise? Yeah, percentage chance. Man, there's there's so much that goes into it, but I would put it at, I mean, like 70, 75% chance wow. that he gets there, right? That's great. I, I was thinking 50%, and that felt maybe even a little optimistic, but I'm with you, man. I just see upside galore with this. Could things go wrong? Sure. Yeah. But in an ideal world, if he does assume this role that Chuck Clark had playing sweet spot snaps out of his freaking ears... I don't see a world in which a guy this talented falls on his face in year one, John. Yeah, think of it like as Jeremy Chin uh, as a rookie, right? I think that's a good com- comparison. He could, he, he he might even play a ton of linebacker for the Ravens, right? They don't really have a good linebacker on that team. Um, Patrick Queen stands, cover your ears, but he's shit. He's he's not very good. So it's Kyle Hamilton's uh, spot to 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 man, and I think he could be. Uh, a big difference maker and, and rack up a lot of IDP production if they put him in that spot uh, on a certain percentage of snaps as well. Somewhere in Bowling Green, Bobby Reynolds just fell out of a rocking chair and the <laughs> stick that he was whittling rolled across the floor of his wooden cabin. <laughs> so, Evan, um, I'm all in. It sounds like everyone here at this table and this virtual table here is all in on Kyle Hamilton. You love to see it. I want to shift now from the best and worst landing spots that John had picked out and talk about some guys that you were excited about. Again, doing the work, putting in the draft ranks for RSO. Who was the first guy that you felt landed in a primo spot? Yeah, I remember watching this guy get picked as I was chowing down on a breakfast burger at Double Dogs earlier today. I saw Darian Beavers, linebacker, New York Giants, and I thought to myself, huh, that's interesting. And then I did a little bit more digging, and I realized it was a little more interesting. 
So, yeah, this guy was picked in the sixth round. He was the third pick in the sixth round, but PFF had him as their number 127 overall player with a 77.7 PFF grade in his 2021 college season. So he's probably not going to be good in coverage, but it won't take much to crack the number two role in New York. Wink Martindale, their new defensive coordinator, has historically run only one three-down linebacker, so I wouldn't expect much from him in year one, but with Blake Martinez on the final year of his contract, Beavers could be an interesting dynasty stash. And while, like I said, I do love some of these guys, some of them I love more than others for this year, others I just think are really good relative to their market value in dynasty. This is one of those players. John, we love the last name. Evan loves the landing spot. What's not to, what's not to like about the Darian Beavers New York Giants connection? Yeah, it's it's. I don't mind the call. Like I I I know I wasn't crazy about um, Beavers heading into the draft. I felt he was, you know, pretty limited as far as like a being a coverage linebacker and, and not super athletic either. But I think, like Evan pointed out, the path for LB two in New York is is pretty decent it's it's better than lb1 for for this year at least but you know if if this draft giants draft told me anything it's that they still feel comfortable about blake martinez being their top dog but i don't mind taking a shot on beaver super late um for that lb2 spot and especially if martinez isn't healthy there's i mean the options are basically take crowder who was uh who has even worse draft capital than beavers and was terrible at any time that he got a chance to start so um beavers and is is yeah i like what you said evan a, a decent shot to take uh late in drafts with some upside there um for down the road and especially if you're thinking for uh for 2023 Blake Martinez, they were talking about him not being on the team maybe this year as a possible cut candidate. It doesn't seem like it'll happen. It seems like he's going to stick around this year. But next year, if he's gone, the Giants are going to have other needs to draft for. It sounds like they'll be going after a quarterback, uh, even with Daniel Daniel Jones being uh, done in New York. So they're, they're going to be focused up elsewhere and and won't maybe be spending high draft capital in a linebacker. So it's 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 good thinking. And I, I don't mind the process at all. Yeah. You work with John long enough, Evan. You start to pick up on the way that he compliments your takes. And being Canadian, I don't mind the call means that I actually do mind the call. I hate it. (laughs) And I'm going to sort of backpedal compliment into it because of my Canadian upbringing. So I hate to inform you, John actually hates this call. And uh, we'll be sending you a nasty DM after this episode is over. Uh, no, John, I know. I don't hate that. I think call. we're all Darian Beavers it. fans at this I table. I should have been more clear. That's so. <laughs> Yes, yes. I was just, I was pointing out your Canadian nature. Any chance I can get to poke fun at that is, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. I'm sorry. I got to do it. <laughs> uh, but you're right. I think there is a world in which this team that is doing a low-key tank could move on from Blake Martinez as early as this season. And if they don't, next season... We know Darian Beavers is going to have the opportunity. You're right. They're going to be focused elsewhere. So even if it's not 2022, uh, could it be 2023? I think all signs point to that being a likely outcome. So great call, Evan. I will just outright compliment you on this (laughs) rather than backhand complimenting you as our Canadian friend has. Who's the next guy on your list? I love this last name as well because it reminds me of one of my favorite cuts of meat. 
Yeah, this one should not be as difficult to love. And it's also one of the main reasons why I probably won't be drafting Kyle Hamilton in most of my rookie drafts, because I believe Jaquan Brisker, the safety in Chicago now, could be almost as productive with a significantly lower price tag. And here's why. He was the 16th pick in the second round of this year's draft, and PFF had him as the number 40 overall player. Now, he had an 82 PFF grade each season for the last three years in college. And he's a box safety who ends up on a defense in desperate need of safety help. Now, the Bears' new head coach is the former defensive coordinator for the Colts. The Colts, who have had a dedicated box safety. Now, I expect this defense to have a clear-cut box safety, and it shouldn't be difficult for Brisker to beat out DeAndre Houston Carson for the job. Just like brisket, John, this take tastes delicious. And I'm curious your take on the potential new box safety in Chicago under head coach Matt Eberflus. Yeah. So, okay. So I'll be a little bit more direct and clear here. Uh, I love this one, Evan. This is good. Um, this is, <laughs> this is a good one. All around the table. Yeah, there you go. Um, but you're right. I mean, outside of Eddie Jackson, there's no real competition for that second safety spot. It's, I mean, DeAndre Houston, Carson, whatever. Um, Brisker, I, I liked a lot uh, before the draft. I like him now after the draft. I think I had him as my number three safety pre-draft, probably where I have him again um, post-draft. I, I feel good about keeping him there. He's, like you said, an experienced box safety as well, and he can make plays in coverage. I think he has a, a pretty great path to IDP success, especially like you mentioned, uh, if we see Eberflus ut- utilize him as like a similar role to a Kyrie Willis from his time in Indy. Um, I know the Colts, so just to kind of look at the numbers here, what they were single high coverage wise, um, utilizing one high safety and one shallow safety, The they were 11th in the league in single high coverages. The Colts were under Eberflus at 57%, which is, so it's a small shift from the Bears previous, um, the Bears in 2021 who were at 52%. So um, it's definitely a shift uh, in the right direction for uh, Brisker's IDP value. So I, I like that one quite a bit. There you go. Evan, congratulations. Direct praise from John Macri, what we have all sought in our lives, our PFF father giving us compliments and liking our takes. So thank you, John, for being direct on that one. Uh, and I agree, Jaquan Brisker there, not a lot of competition Ibraflus has clearly preferred, like you said, that two safety set, Julian Blackman, Kari Willis, each having unique roles in this defense. So I think it's safe to assume, given the lack of competition, given the draft capital, given the delicious last name, that Jaquan Brisker is in for a potentially big role in 2022 and beyond. Evan, let's move to your next take and keep it in the safety position. Who's the next guy we're going to talk about? Yeah, I know Macri loves this guy as well, Lewis Seen. Now, he was drafted by the Minnesota Vikings with the last pick of the first round. First round safety, he was given a number 26 overall ranking by PFF, and he had an 81.6 PFF grade in 2021. So, here's a rundown. He played a primarily deep safety role at Georgia, and there is definitely an opening for starting safety with the Vikings. Now, with a first-round selection, it looks like a bye-bye-bynum in Minnesota. This is why I'm not a singer, you guys. And the new defensive coordinator for the Vikings is Ed Donatell, the former Broncos defensive coordinator of the past three years. 
The Broncos have used a lot of too high safety looks in Fangio's system, but even if Donatel goes a different route, the Vikings head coach comes from the Rams, and they also used a lot of too high safety looks. Even if we see usage similar to Taylor Rapp and Jordan Fuller, or maybe Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson, there certainly will be some level of IDP relevance for Lewisine. John, aside from making the teenage girls who listen to this podcast swoon at the NSYNC impersonation, somewhere on a golf cart, somewhere in a beautiful Kentucky countryside, Adam just fell out of a golf cart hearing uh, Cameron Bidem being reminded of one of his favorite defensive back sleepers being Thanos snapped out of existence <laughs> by Lewis Seen. What are your thoughts here on Seen landing with the Vikings? I know we touched on it a little bit now, or last uh, couple nights ago on the live stream, but now that you've had a couple days to reflect on this pick, do you like the landing spot there in Minnesota? I do. Yeah, I think Evan hit on hit on all the right points, right? And yeah, it, it does. It hurts Cameron Bynum. Um, but I mean, let's be honest, we didn't spend a lot to get Cameron Bynum. It didn't cost him cost us much to acquire him. I, I picked him up off waivers for free this offseason. It really wasn't. Uh, it's not that big of a loss as much as we do like him. So um yeah, Evan said uh, Ed Donatel comes in, he figures to run a bit more single high coverages, like cover one, cover three, than what the Vikings did last season. Uh, I think the Vikings were 31st in the league in single high coverages last year. So um, Donatel's Broncos ran a much more like average rate of single high coverages. Um, so it, it means we should see like an alternation of either Harrison Smith or Lewis Seen coming down to kind of play in the box a little bit more. Um, Seen was a really good run defender, earned an 83.4 run defense grade, 84. 4.9 tackling grade, both of which were uh, top three in the SEC among safeties. So uh, I'm a big fan of scene. I, I had him as number two safety coming in and he stays as my number two safety uh, coming out of the draft. And uh, I think he's in a really nice spot there. But uh, Brisker would definitely be in the conversation. I think two and three could be interchangeable depending on uh, which one you like a little bit more. There we go, Evan. Thumbs down for the singing. Thumbs up for the Lewis scene take. And also on the brisket take as well. Delicious cut of barbecue, delicious safety option in your rookie drafts. Let's wrap things up here with a final safety take. Who is the last guy on your list? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm glad you don't have a hard time seeing that guy as a top safety in this draft. Oh, Evan, you were doing so well. <laughs> oh, oh. All right, guys, we're going to wrap this one up. <laughs> Even as somebody who loves dad jokes. <laughs> it's all right. I've been cooking up this one for a bit, too. So, Evan, no, I definitely have to cut your microphone. <laughs> oh, no. No, John, stay away. No, don't hurt me. All right, here we go. So, You're talking to the same guy that made a Min Crosby joke last year, so don't feel... <laughs> Oh and I gosh. thought it was a Bing Crosby joke. I didn't even right. get the men Crosby until you had to explain it to me. So it was really, really bad. Yeah. And once again, this last guy's reason why I can comfortably fade DB because I have a good, a good feeling that I can get production later on in this rookie draft with Brian Cook, the safety that the Kansas City Chiefs drafted. So they drafted him with the 30th pick in the second round. PFF had him as the 71 overall player in their draft, and he had an 87.6 PFF grade in 2021. So he played 370 box snaps, 291 deep snaps in his final year with Cincinnati. And the Chiefs use a ton of three safety looks. And with Daniel Sorensen and Tyron Matthew departing, there is an opening for a starting safety with the Chiefs. 
They still have Julian Blackman. I'm sorry, not Julian Blackman. That's who I wrote down here, but you guys know who I mean. Juan they have Thornhill. Juan Thornhill. They both start with a J. That's all that matters. <laughs> Close they, enough, right? And they also added Justin Reed, another who's starting with the J safety. Um, but Cook could be a day one IDP producer in this defense. And he has a ton of upside to see box snaps if he ends up with that role in Kansas City. John, help us make sense of this. You got Dirty Dan, the tackle missing man, out. You've got the Honey mm-hmm. Badger seemingly out. Hasn't signed anywhere yet. We'll see where he ends up. Bring Justin Reed in. You bring Brian Cook in. Juan Thornhill is still there. How does this shake out? Same defensive coordinator, same scheme. Is it as easy as this guy plugs into this role, or might we see something a little different in 2022? Yeah, it's hard to say. Like the the way I'm picturing it right now is that he kind of fits into that Daniel Sorensen role for the Chiefs, right? So he's a really fun player. I think there's definitely some IDP value to be had there. I mean, the Chiefs they're still going to run a lot of dime, right? That that they since uh, Steve Spagnuolo joined the Chiefs uh, in 2019, they've had the second most uh, dime snaps in the league behind only Green Bay. I think it was uh, 31.5%. So close to a third of their snaps in dime. So for 2021, that was about about 300 snaps. And depending on injuries to other players at the position, we could see him get on the field through various other routes as well, um, which is basically how Daniel Sorensen has ended up with 700 to 800 snaps in each of the past two years. So at the very least, there are situational snaps available in a premium spot, like Evan said, near the line of sc- line of scrimmage for Cook to kind of rack up tackles. It's not likely a sturdy week to week option for IDP, but could be plug and play as needed in, in in those deeper leagues. There you go. You were cooking up that take for a while. <laughs> John has seen right through your smoke screens, and uh, we're going to go eat some brisker after this. <laughs> Yum. That's how you pull all the puns together and pull off the dad jokes, folks. Take beautiful notes. And take notes on this episode, ladies and gentlemen. Best and worst landing spots with tons of rationale. Rookie drafts are going to be firing up here very soon. And hopefully this episode and the rest of the coverage we've had in the feed in the weeks leading up to this weekend have helped you gain a better understanding of how to look at the IDPs in this rookie class. John, I'm curious. We'll get you out of here on this. Knowing now where all of these guys have landed, there's still some undrafted free agents to shake out. But for the most part, the IDP producers from this rookie rookie class, at least for 2022, have landed with the team. We know the final puzzle piece has slid into place. Which rookie IDP do you think you will have on more of your rosters than any other? Wow. That's a good question. Um, yeah, especially because I haven't done any mocks yet. I haven't done. I haven't even finalized my rankings, but I'm starting to think that it might be Channing Tindall. Um, that was the guy I was thinking of as well, man. Oh yeah, wow. That kind of later <laughs> later linebacker, a guy yeah. that you don't have to necessarily take high, but is in a good situation. That's uh, that's pretty tasty for me as well. Yeah, like Devin Lloyd's going to be hard to get consistently. Like, I think people will be on to that one. There's other landing spots that aren't, I'm not crazy about. I mean, Nicobe Dean could be one too in a similar situation that I grab Tyndall late. I, I'm, if Nicobe Dean is somebody that people are worried about with the health history and everything, um, he might be somebody that I'd be taking a shot on just because I, I don't mind waiting uh, for that long term value to pay off if I have to redshirt him for a year. 
Evan, I'm going to ask you a slightly different question because you are our game theory expert. You put a lot of thought into your process and how you go about drafting these rookies. So I want to ask you, who's the tendency breaker? Who's the process breaker? Who are you willing to reach for in your rookie drafts because of the stars in your eyes for that player? That's a good question. Um, And the answer can be no one. Yeah. But I'm curious if there's anyone that maybe you'd be willing to jump up a few spots. I'm not saying take them a whole round early, but maybe break your process and go up a few spots to get a guy you really like. And typically the answer to that question for me would be a wide receiver. But if I had to keep it to the IDP realm... The only reason I would ever break my process in order to reach on a guy is if I have an excess of draft capital or I'm very confident in how my roster looks and so I'm okay with leaking the value. And the only person that I feel like I'd be okay with leaking the value with is a guy that I expect day one production from, and that has to be Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd. Okay, very nice. It's like uh, interrogating Batman here, John. Like, <laughs> what? Who, who are you willing to kill to break your code? Like, wh- where? Where is the line in the sand? Like, who's the villain that you will snuff out and break your code for? That's what I want to dig into with Evan, and it's fascinating to hear him say Devin Lloyd. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, right? We 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 have drafts together, so we don't want to tip our hands too much. I mean, we got our yeah. XFFL draft, for example, and like next weekend, basically. <laughs> so uh, we don't want to give away too much and i don't blame evan for yeah for for not reaching on guys i think that and i i think the the rationale is perfect there it makes sense i will add there are a couple guys that i do expect to have a high exposure rate to simply because i believe there is value and ambiguity i think christian harris and troy anderson are two great calls christian harris landed with the texans troy anderson landed with the falcons both a little bit of ambiguity in those situations, but there is a chance that each guy could win out and earn a starting role. And I believe that because of that ambiguity, that could push them down rookie draft boards to a point where I'm more willing to take IDP assets. There you go. That makes a lot of sense. And two names that didn't make the larger conversation here, but are important to bring up. John, all sorts of IDP sleepers, it feels like from this year's draft, right? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the landing spots alone. So if you if you can do some digging and try to figure out who the best talents are, who has the best shot to kind of emerge, you know, whether it's this season or uh, as a starter down the road, there's going to be yeah, there's going to be a ton of sleepers. I mean, yeah, I like what you said there about uh, Christian Harris and, and Troy Anderson. It feels kind of like the Baron Browning situation. Like I was grabbing up a lot of Baron Browning last year because it felt like a situation very similar to that and. Um, just thinking about it as I, I I'm staring at my my list of players here and one player just to add one more here a little bonus name uh, for those true position leagues because I think this guy will be designated as a linebacker um, on non-true position leagues but my Jay Sanders going to the Arizona Cardinals mm. um, ends up in a sneaky good spot for opportunity and production he's the he was the only edge defender uh that posted 80 plus pass pass rush grades in each of the past three seasons, put like 138 pressures and 19 sacks in that span. Had some issues with like missed tackles and run defense and things like that. But his run defense overall was really solid. But um, you look at the depth chart there too: Marcus Golden, Victor Dimukeji, uh, Dennis Gardeck, Devin Kennard. There's not a whole lot of competition for him. So um, that would be somebody that just kind of speaking on rookie sleepers. Myje Sanders is a is a really interesting name for me. Fun fact, Evan, John made up at least two of those names. 
in the Arizona depth chart. <laughs> and if you take this guy, you can post in your league chat shortly after the pick. This is not your Jay Sanders. This is my Jay Sanders. Wow. So there you go. That was I incredible. That. We will end with that. Where else can we go from there with that outstanding dad joke? Evan, we know you've got the RSO rookie rankings coming out, I believe, on Monday. Correct. So look forward to those. I know you've been having a lot of fun putting those together along with our boy Boo Bam. So check those out, Reality Sports Online. John, what do you have coming down the pipe that the folks should be looking forward to? Yeah, so very similar. I, I've been working on the the rookie ranks this weekend. They will be coming out, uh, I think it's Tuesday morning. Um, and yeah, just going to try to put our IDPs in order and put as many nuggets and information in those uh player blurbs as i can so that the people can uh work off the the pff information that's available to them love it rankings galore info galore so much goodness out there in the idp world folks we'll be back on monday night these two fine gentlemen will be joining us in a rookie mock draft we're going to do live on the show and then shortly after that john is going to be jumping back in with his post draft rookie episodes looking at linebackers edge and safety folks the wheel never stops turning the off season no sir the on season young king appreciate you joining me nbg to do an episode here in the so shack this was a lot of fun hopefully the first of many episodes that we get to do together in the future Absolutely. This was an absolute blast. Thanks for having me. So until next week, check out these two gentlemen's rookie rankings and check us out on Monday. We will see you all then with a live rookie mock draft. Shout out to our patrons and our listener league participants. We love and appreciate y'all. And until Monday, y'all take care. We'll see you soon. So-